You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Hey, everyone. If you like this podcast, go behind the paywall to get privileged access to the smartest minds in finance. Visit realvision.com slash rvpod and use the promo code podcast10. That's podcast10 to get 10% off our essential membership for the first year. Join the Real Vision community and learn how to become a better investor. And now to the top analysis of today's markets. Are more rate hikes coming? Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. With me today is Jared Dillian, editor of the Daily Dirt Nap newsletter. Hi, Jared. Hey, how you doing? I'm doing okay. So all about the Fed, it seems like today. Jerome Powell delivered a speech at the Fed's annual retreat in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. They do it every year. And it appeared, if you listen in real time, that he kind of offered something for everyone. He said inflation was too high and that they were prepared to do more, but also said that inflation was decelerating, which gave the Fed room to proceed carefully. Those were his words. But the bond market, as you looked at the reaction now here through sort of the mid past the mid session of the U.S. trading day, it seems like the bond market leaned into the more hawkish statements. We saw the two-year and 10-year yield both moving higher. I mean, they weren't rocketing up, but they did edge higher. What did you make of the whole thing? Well, twos are down a little bit. Tens are onch and the long ends up a little bit. Oh, okay. Um, so that's that's been shifting because when I looked yeah, before, it's it looked a little like bit it was a, up a... It's a little bit of a twist. Um, I... I thought it was a very dovish speech. And like you said, there's something for everybody. And I think people are going to look at the speech and they're going to believe what they're going to believe based mm -hmm. on their priors. Right. And I have my priors. So I'm focusing on basically two statements. Uh, one, which you mentioned, they said, we will proceed carefully on whether to hike again. Super important. We will proceed carefully on whether to hike again. But the other more important statement I thought it says real rates positive, well above most neutral estimates. And this is really the first acknowledgement out of the Fed about real rates, how we've gone from negative real rates in the 2010s to positive real rates today. And we really do have real rates of about 2% right now, which we are in restrictive territory. This is the first time that the Fed has acknowledged that we are in restrictive territory. So you take those two statements combined and just the overall tone of the speech. And I, 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 you know, I interpreted it as very dovish. The initial reaction out of the market, you saw bonds rally, you saw gold rally. It was, it was the reaction that I expected. Then you had a reversion and now everything's about onch on the day. Okay. Um, I think as time passes and people digest this over the weekend, uh, I think it's I think it's bullish for you know for at least bonds of gold going forward. So that's interesting, um, and and right to point that out uh, about real rates. And and he also said I think at some point he also said it's kind of impossible to know where neutral is. I think at some point I heard him say that. So yeah, I mean you put all those things together. 
this often happens, by the way, you know, people have that knee jerk reaction and then they really go through the fine tooth comb and, you know, everybody gets a chance to kind of digest it. So not surprising that we're swinging around on a summer Friday, I guess. So let's like sort of set the table a little bit um, on bonds. First of all, so we, you talked about it when you were last on, which we're going to unpack in a minute, but everyone who's been coming on has really been focused on this bond trade because it's important um, it, it's going to influence a lot of other things in the market. And it's been, frankly, really frustrating. So this is what folks that were on the Daily Briefing the last week had to say. Let's have a listen. The markets, they have a habit of rallying on Fed, especially when they've priced in higher yields. They've already had their kind of hawkish move, right? It's kind of like the anticipation builds and builds and builds, and then they don't come out as hawkish as they need to than what the market's priced and then and then it calms down. So so I, I just think that, that that could happen this time round. I don't believe the Fed has to raise rates again. And certainly it's unlikely that they're going to by September because it's unlikely that we're going to see anything in the in the development of adverse wage, adverse labor, adverse inflation data, materially adverse relative to the current state of the current condition of the data between now and then for them to raise interest rates. And I think the further you go in time, the more likely the Fed just gets comfortable with how much time this process is taking. Working models for the last 25 years mostly revolved around demand. And, you know, if you can measure demand, then you know what the jobs market's gonna do, you know what inflation's gonna do. And now it's obviously much more supply oriented in 21 and 22. And then now we're kind of like, okay, you basically had this like earthquake and now we're looking around and all the buildings are like half fallen over and we're trying to like in terms of economic models, not mm -hmm. the economy. And you look at all these models of how things work and none of them work. Like, what we're likely to see is the Fed going, oh my God, sorry, we've undershot. Which gives them the cover to cut rates, which they need to do because they cannot pay the interest on the debt at these levels ongoing. They've got about 13 trillion of debt to roll over plus new issuance. And they need to then monetize the interest payments. That's part of the everything code thesis. I love sort of seeing the progression throughout the week. And by the way, that's just a taste of the kinds of conversations that we have on the platform and within our network and in the chats. For those of you who are on them, you know, if you are not a member, already a member, scan the QR code and jump on the waiting list so you can fully plug in and participate. Um, so Jared, Raul has been talking all week or for the better part of the week that he's had to rethink um, and close out of his bond position um, all because of some short-term issues. Um, although long-term, he's still, I think, holding the same narrative, I think it's fair to say. So how are you thinking about the whole thing? Because last time you were on, you felt pretty confident that we'd seen the yield, the, the peak in yields, but obviously the tenure anyway, and that didn't happen. We saw yields go higher. So what you're thinking around the trade, what are you doing and what's going on that maybe you didn't anticipate? Yeah, I mean, yields, 10-year yields are about 10 or 20 basis points higher, nothing egregious. Um, the reason this trade is so interesting is because the two possible outcomes are so polarized. So a couple of days ago, you saw Larry Summers um, tweet out this chart, this uh, analog chart of inflation during the 1970s and inflation today. And you can see that it's tracking pretty closely and you had one wave of inflation and then you have like another wave of inflation that's coming. So, and he's not the first person to show this chart. And Andreas has been all over this. He's been tweeting this out for like a year. Um, and the thinking is, is that 
you know, we'll have a period of low inflation and then we'll have higher inflation at some point in the future. So the other, so there's a lot of people who believe that we're going to have a second wave of inflation. On the other hand, you have what is arguably a deflationary depression in China. And we've seen how China has the ability to export inflation to the rest of the world and how they have the ability to export deflation to the rest of the world. It's the second biggest economy. Um, so what I what, so what I think is interesting is that the two outcomes are so polarized. I mean, I think you have people that think that 10-year yields should be at 8%, and you have people who think that 10-year yields should be at 1%, and there's not really a lot of in-between. Mm-hmm. And when I look at 10s at 4.2%, I'm like, all right, this is kind of the average of the two outcomes. But it's it's such a hot topic because like the two possibilities are so polarized, you know? Yeah. No, I think that's right. And I think that's what's made it, it, it it's why it's such a difficult environment. I really loved Brent's comment because I thought it was really honest. And he said, you know, before that, for those who watched on Wednesday the and, and stuck around for the extended, um, he basically said, like, listen, no one knows what's going on. Like anybody who tells you with any conviction that they actually understand what's going on right now is lying to you because there are these difficulties in teasing out what was a result of some extraordinary exogenous shocks, what what is or will be structural changes, what the time lags are if they're just stretched out because of it, which is really hard to tell. Even for the Fed, there's a feeling that Fed doesn't really know. But you do have these really loud voices in the room. I think Bill Dudley's one of them, right? Who think that oh, we're yeah. just in a in a new higher interest rate environment. So it's been super difficult. So just 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 to sort of bring it back to the short term. So what have you done with your bond position? Did you are you riding through the pain because they did go up? Are you out? and waiting for another day. How, how did you approach this? So I, I cut it in half two days ago and uh, I can't say what I'm going to do in the future, but uh, I'm, you know, I, I kind of like Raul. I, I still, I still believe in the trade um, looking at some charts before I came on air. Like I still, I still think it has merit. Um, it's, you know, trading is hard. Like the only time trading isn't hard is if your entry points are perfect. If your entry points are perfect, then you never have to experience a drawdown. You never have to experience any pain. You don't you don't have people questioning your thesis on real vision. Like it's and like you are not human. <laughs> you do not exist. So, <laughs> Sorry, you don't exist. So Every once in a while, uh, you, you, that might happen, but it's really so. Wait, let's 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 fill this in because there is, you know, that basically, and I'm not speaking directly about you, but I'm just saying in general, people who are brave enough to share their thoughts and their trade ideas come under withering attack. Um, should anything go go astray, we see yeah. this with you know Raul has experienced this probably more than any other person. Um, so, but when you trade, when you talk to people, and I encourage everyone to go through the academy, go through those master classes, go listen to Peter Brandt's interviews. People who trade and invest for a living will tell you that they get it wrong all the time, right? Like this is failure is something that you have to be really comfortable with. It's part of the job, but but. How do you 
when something doesn't go your way? Like, what is your thought process? Because I think this is where there's a big learning for people who are going to find themselves on the wrong side of a trade at some point. So what do you do? Do you say like, how? what's my risk profile? How much can I afford to lose? Cut your loss? Do you hedge so that you're protected? Yeah. How do you approach that? All those things. But really, I think about the arrival of new information, right? You're constantly getting new information. And I check the information to see whether it confirms my thesis or disproves my thesis. And today we got new information and I think it actually confirms my thesis. Um, the, the Jackson Hole speech that I expected was more like what we got last year where Powell just laid waste to the market. Uh, it was incredibly hawkish. It was pain incredible. ahead. There will be pain yeah. ahead, right? That was that. And, and we didn't, we didn't get that this year. In fact, you know, we got some, we got some dovish nuggets. Hey, everyone, we're going to take a quick break right now to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. So are you, so you don't know what you're going to do though. You're, you have your position and you're on well, the sideline now. Well, I do know what I'm going to do. I just can't say because it's going to go in the newsletter. So. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so you, <laughs> so you're a man with a plan. Uh, <laughs> so, um, so the dollar also strengthened a little bit on the back, but that may have also come back. This is another one where I feel like much like the bond trade, people feel two different ways about it. And there have been a lot of people who are kind of been wrong and having to having to readjust. Um, you know, I think I think Brent's comments about the models being broken are super interesting because like if if I told you two years ago that we were going to raise rates 550 basis points and GDP would still be positive and unemployment would be at three and a half percent, you would say we were nuts. Mm -hmm. Like like th that's not supposed to happen. You would say okay, unemployment's going to be six to 8%. We're going to have negative GDP. And like, so like all the models that people are using are just not working. You know what I mean? So what, when you say that Powell really doesn't know what the hell is going on, like that's absolutely true. Like they were, we're just in uncharted territory. So. Yeah. I, 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 and that's why I thought that was such a, a thoughtful and smart comment that he made and a super honest one, because let's face it, lots of people peddle, uh, their business, and you see this all over Wall Street and all over CNBC and Bloomberg. Their their job is to get up and say things with conviction. Mike Wilson from Morgan Stanley today said uh, the fact that Nvidia, the the market didn't rally on Nvidia, means the rally's over. Well, okay, but you know that he was wrong earlier on stocks too. So nobody says like, listen, none of us know what's going on. But I think that there's a lot of truth in that, um, which means I guess that you have to stay nimble and open minded, right? So what do you rely on if the old models don't work? Uh, I mean, you know what I rely on. Sentiment, um, yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, with regard to stocks, um, you know, I am short. I've been short for about a month and haven't gotten, I mean, it's it's worked, but I haven't gotten a huge amount of satisfaction out of it. And um, there's there seems to be some support. Uh, if I think if 
I mean, look, like the NVIDIA earnings was what, you know, what Tony Greer calls the Icarus print. I don't know if you ever heard him say that before, but <laughs> it's one that. of my favorite things that he says. He calls it the Icarus print. And, um, you know, a, a stock that that goes down on good news and all that stuff, like it's pretty bearish. But, I, you know, just looking at the price action, I think we're going to have a tough time getting below 4,300 in the S&P. So I'm a little itchy about that short position. Right. Okay. So you see some, uh, yeah, I think Imran also was sort of saying, you know, you're going to back and fill maybe, but is this, so you can say, okay, well, it's not going to rally anymore, but what happens next? That's what people want to know, right? Are we going to see some kind of correction or revisitation to the lows, or do we kind of bounce around in a range where we back and fill? And, you know, that that's what a lot of people are trying to figure out. Cause if it's going to go all the way down, people don't want to experience that kind of drawdown. It's scary. Yeah. Yeah. But you don't, but you're not sure, huh? Uh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, when we're talking about the models working and stuff, I just want to flag to everyone, um, if you haven't had a chance yet, because I know it's summer and we're all running around trying to soak up the last of it, uh, at least in the Northern Hemisphere here. Uh, Raul did a con- had a conversation with Gerard Minnick. We ran a clip from it earlier this week. It's, it's a great conversation. Um, they talk about, cracking the code to this economic cycle. And Gerard, this is the kind of conversation that I'm talking about when I say we dive deep. He talks about some things that he does think have structurally changed. And this is, we're at this really interesting juncture. And I think it's really important to pay attention to that. Brent talked about some stuff about going from a, you know, a demand-led models to supply-led models. And Gerard talks a little bit about that, but but really fills in a lot of nuance. So I just want to give everyone a heads up. If you haven't had a chance to um, to check that out, please do. So what are you thinking about the dollar here, Jared? And how important is getting that right? I mean, it's it's all the same trade. Dollar, gold, bonds, all the same mm-hmm. trade. It's a blob. Uh, I, I, like, it's a really I, important blob, though. <laughs> you know, I, like, I started, like, back when I was younger, when I was at Lehman, I was... You know, I would notice that certain asset classes would move together all like a marching band. Like back then, back in the mid 2000s, the dollar was very weak. So you would look at the euro and you would look at XLB, which was like metals and materials and stuff. And it was like, you know, it was it was 100 percent correlated. So I started calling it the blob. So now we have a blob that's bonds, gold and the dollar. And it's it all comes down to if you can, it's really hard. If you can predict what the Fed's going to do, then you are going to get bonds, gold, and the dollar right. If Now, how to predict what the Fed's going to do requires you to predict what the data is going to do. Mm. You know what I mean? Because the Fed is, I think, you know, at this point, data dependent. They're, that's something they used to say in the past. They're not really saying it right now, but they are data dependent. If If, our, if the next paywall print, came in negative and we had like 3.8% unemployment, that definitely changes the path of future Fed funds. You know what I mean? So it's just, you know, I find myself in a position where I have risk on in all these assets and like I'm data dependent, like I'm watching, you know, I I would say 90% of the time I pay no attention to the economic data. And now like I watch it every single day, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
so is this it was asking can you can we get your thoughts Jared's thoughts on gold moving forward will it finally break the triple top in his view I think you just answered that right you're not sure because it depends on what the fed does it depends on what the fed does but you know technically speaking there aren't supposed to be such things as triple tops I mean I think you know the basic TA books will tell you that you know certainly not quadruple tops um and one thing that I mentioned in one of my newsletters that I sent to you guys, you know, gold, like this drawdown has, one thing I noticed about gold, it spends more time going down than it does going up. But when it goes up, it goes up more than it goes down, right? So there's, time is very important. Like price, a lot of technical analysts believe that price is everything, but time also matters. Like we've had a drawdown in gold that has only been about eight or 9%, but has lasted almost two months, right? And it's that time without a higher high, without confirmation that gets people really, really frustrated. So that's kind of the way I think about that. We're going to take another quick break to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Yeah, I think uh, we've got some people talking about that, and, uh, and, um, Michael saying until gold drops below a year ago, price long duration is a train wreck. Um, so I think that, you know, kind of echoing the fact that that, that time really matters. Um, wanted to talk a little bit about banking uh, because I think this is, this is you know, we talk so much about it. It kind of went to the back burner, but I've noticed a lot of people talking about Citigroup stock. How are you thinking about the financials? Yeah, not so good. Um... So, you know, I'm building a house and I've made friends with people in the new neighborhood. And one of the guys that I made friends with, he's an older guy, he's in his seventies. Uh, he used to run a small regional bank in South Carolina and now he's, he's still on the board of directors. Um, but he, you know, I was talking to him the other day and he's like, every bank CFO or treasurer in the world is watching their net interest margin on a daily basis. Like they're just staring at it constantly. Mm. Like this, the, the yield curve inversion is death. Like it is really, really tough on banks. And, you know, we were both of the opinion that this is unsustainable. Something is going to fail soon. I don't really have- Because, I mean, this is not a small regional bank. This is a systemically important bank. Like this is a kind of, it fits in the too big to fail, massive consumer presence. So the fact that people have been- Problem, so. Are you surprised that, I mean, you know, there's there's a difference, of course, between your stock looking like ass, as you say, which I love, um, and there being something more scary going on underneath the hood. So I don't want to suggest that there's anything going on there. I think we have to be super careful about that. But I think one of the reasons that people have been bringing up Citigroup is because, I mean, this is not a small regional bank. This is a systemically important bank. Like this is a kind of fits in the too big to fail, massive consumer presence. So the fact that people have been talking about that or kind of looking at it nervously is interesting to me. Um, 
But once again, we didn't have the Fed mention anything about the financial system or, or, or banking sector at all. It's like, it, it's like, there's no problem there. If you listen to them, they don't bring it up at all. Yeah, actually, now that you mentioned that, that's super interesting. I didn't think about that. I mean, obviously, the Fed is the biggest bank regulator. And, you know, the regional, the regional bank presidents really have, they have a really good sense for what's going on with the banks in their district. Um, so oh, they've that, that got, kind of yeah, especially because they didn't get it right on, on Silicon Valley Bank that you would think that they send everybody double down to figure out, make sure they've got the finger on the pulse. So they've got to know what's going on. I mean, listen, are they going to say, oh, we're really concerned about banking? Of course they're not. But you would think that their comments would take into consideration that there's still enormous strain on the system. Well, and I, think- I, I don't know. Do you buy the idea? Because the, the narrative after that the first freak out with Silicon Valley and uh, I think someone said all those S banks um, is that, okay, this could, and then it kind of was like, oh, it's contained. The Fed doesn't mind if regionals fail, they'll ring fence them. They'll do one at a time and it's all good. Do you buy that? Uh, no, not really. I mean, I think there's a lot of inputs into Fed decision-making that go above and beyond the economic data. Right. So one of the things that Raul was talking about in that clip was interest expense on the federal government. Right. Now, that's not part of the Fed's mandate. They're not supposed to consider that. And they would never say that they're considering that. But for sure, they are thinking about it. For sure, that is being talked about. Right. They are absolutely thinking about it. And just like they would never mention anything about, you know, contagion or weakness in the financials like for sure they are thinking about it. Hmm. So, you know, when they, when, when Powell, I mean, when he puts this speech together with the help of whoever, like all of those things come into consideration. So when you see these dovish comments, like when he says that real rates are positive, well above most neutral estimates, like that's put there deliberately. And like so is proceed not, with caution, right? That's, like that's I, that not really there by accident. Me. No, nothing's there by accident. Yeah. As somebody who had to be in those lockups, nothing's there by accident. They're very yeah. careful about what they say. So maybe we'll have a rethink next week as people start to look at the comparison to last year. And so do you think they go in September? We actually posed that question at the top and we haven't answered it. I think it's 50-50. Mm. I think it's 50-50. I don't think, I don't think that's really... I don't think that's really the right question to ask, though. What's the question? I think the right question to ask is, has the Fed done enough? Like, not like one more rate hike, 25 basis point rate hike really doesn't matter. Like, the question is, have they done enough? And are they close to a pivot? And how long will they keep rates at five and a half percent? And, all you know, everything like that. So, yeah, that makes sense. So what do you um, what do you like here, Jared? Right now, I mean, it sounds like you're kind of in wait and see mode on a lot of stuff. I own um, almost no U.S. stocks at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Argentina has worked out to be pretty interesting. I've been writing about that for months. I talked about Malay, and he ended up winning the primary, and it's it's that is super interesting. So you can, uh, yeah, so you're still you're still are you are you Waiting to see how that develops, or you're actively trading that now that he's now that we're past the primary. I have a I have a decent sized position, and uh, I don't really see any need to make it bigger. Um, 
you know, if, if, if the Peronis win in a couple of months, I could be down 50% in a day. Yeah. So I don't really need to make that position bigger. No, that's uh, a lot of political risk in a portfolio. <laughs> it's not for the faint of heart, Jared. Yeah. So, um, but no, I mean, assuming either Malay wins or Bullrich wins and Malay goes in opposition, like those are all good outcomes. Like, and even, even if Massa wins, like even that's not a terrible outcome. So, you know, I'm just like, I'm just trying to, I, you know what I should do? I should just take it off my screen and then just pull it up in five years and sell it. Cause I really, you know, that's what I believe. So that's how it's hard to do, but yeah, that, now that would be a, a, a very long time horizon yeah. uh, for you. Um, I'm assuming that you're, if you're thinking that this bond trade, you know, that bond yields are going lower and that, you know, the fed has done enough. Are you thinking commodities are going to remain low or stay low or are they, are they kind of uh, operating off of other factors? How are you thinking about the general commodity space? I don't, I don't know about commodities as an asset class. Uh, I can tell you that oil is consolidating um, for another move higher, which will happen in three to six months. Um, but we had a, you know, a very impulsive move from 68 to 84 in oil and it's kind of digesting that. So I haven't looked in the ags in a while. I haven't really looked at the metals. Um, getting back to what I said earlier about this, you know, how we could either have lots and lots of inflation or lots and lots of deflation, mm -hmm. like, which, you know, if, if you get that right, you'll be able to figure out commodities. But right now I don't think there's a really good entry point. So. Yeah, well, that's the thing. I mean, the the people who think yields are going higher in this kind of permanently higher interest rate inflationary environment, I think, are the folks who think commodities are, you know, ready for another run. But you're right, it is kind of divided down that camp, I think. Um, and the people who see weakening are, you know, obviously not expecting that. Uh, you know, this seasonally, as we head into the fall, because I feel like a lot of people, I mean, who knows what's going to happen next week. And sometimes in thin markets, we got to watch out. Um, and we certainly have enough stuff on the geopolitical front to worry about, my goodness. But uh, as people plug back into September, we're kind of, and October, specifically October, we're kind of fighting some tough seasonals, aren't we? These are rocky times for the markets usually, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, I don't know, like I'm not, I've never really been into the farmer's almanac type of trading. You know what I mean? Like, you know, like, Oh, like October is bad. Like, you know, sell in May and go away and all that stuff. Like I just, you know, I like it's, it's the sex Panther of financial indicators, right? Like 60% of the time it works every time. So. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> uh, it's, well, we're, we're, we're certainly going to have our hands full. I, I feel like, uh, um, things have been volatile already this year and people you, you think bonds and stocks are going to are, are going to have the issue where they're both moving in the same direction or are we going to go back to something more traditional do you think or is that kind of that that relationship broken down just like everything else i think that they should be negatively correlated going forward i mean look like i'm long bonds and short stocks so i right. want bonds to go up and stocks to go down so um no i mean there's a lot of potential catalysts lurking out there that could cause that to happen. Right. So we'll see. 
We will see indeed. Jared, always good to catch up with you. It's fun to get back on and talk about bonds, which have been just um, the trade everyone's obsessed with at the moment because it's been a tricky one. So it's good to have you on and catch up with your thinking on it. And um, we'll see. Sounds like you're still, uh, even though you took half off, you're still feeling the same way, still have the same conviction, just waiting for another opportunity. Yep, exactly. All right, we'll see. Uh, Jared, fantastic to catch up. Thanks so much. Have a great weekend to everyone out there. You enjoy your weekend. We will see you back here on Monday. Take care and good luck out there. What's up, revolutionaries? Thanks for tuning in to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. For more content like this, head over to realvision.com and get unfiltered access to the very best, brightest, and biggest names in finance. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.